From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we're discussing the importance of wills and trusts. Do you have a plan for what will happen to your property when you die? Is it ever too early or too late to make a will? Is it something you can do yourself? You can give us a call this morning at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions about wills. The number is 877-672-7464 or send an email to legalterms at MPB online.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent here today with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're discussing the importance of wills and trusts planning for your future. Do you have a plan for what will happen to your property when you die? Is it ever too early or too late to make a will? Is it something you can do yourself or do you need a lawyer? You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions about wills and trusts. The number is 877-672-7464 or you can send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. How are you today? Doing great, Sharita, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. I think this is our first live show of the new year, so really glad to be back on today. Uh, there are lots of things to talk about, but before we get to um, the uh, topic about wills and trusts, we uh, wanted to talk a, a little bit about some legal news, which was the Fort Lauderdale airport shooting that happened uh, last week. Uh, I think five people were killed and several were injured, and some questions have just come from that because, you know, after 9-11, the airport it's really, really um, cracked down on security, and it's hard to do much of anything in an airport. So many are just left wondering, how was it that he was able to use a firearm in the, the airport? Uh, but could you just give us a little background on when it comes to people who legally own guns, uh, how they can you know, uh, proceed with, with those in, in an airport? Absolutely. Well, actually, uh, on the uh, TSA website, it talks about how you can... Uh, transport firearms and ammunition. Uh, there are rules for it. Um, the, the firearms have to be unloaded in a locked hard side container and in check baggage only. And you've got to declare uh, that you've got a firearm and ammunition uh, when you check the bag. Uh, the container has to be secure, uh, has to be hard sighted. And so if you, if you meet those uh, restrictions, you can check a gun, and many people do, and do so safely and without uh, without consequences. I think, you know, what, what happened in Fort Lauderdale was a great tragedy. Uh, he just went to the bathroom and, and took out his bag, the, the, the gun out of his bag after it uh, landed and, uh, you know, committed this um, terrible crime. So it, it's pretty easy uh, to check a gun uh, on a plane. Uh, there's, there's some states that are looking at maybe restricting the ability to do so. Uh, so that's something we'll just have to watch. But um, TSA you know, has the rules on, on its website if anybody's interested. 
Wow, that's very interesting. Um, and I was also reading that at one point the gun had been confiscated, um, that he he had been having some mental issues and uh, they deemed him mentally stable so they couldn't legally take his gun. But it turns out uh, they did take it for a moment before they did the evaluation. And it turns out that gun that he got back is the one that he used uh, to carry out this this uh, situation. So I'm sure now uh, the, the topic of gun laws is going to come back up again, gun control rather. I think you're right, and maybe we ought also have the topic of mental health uh, and and you know good care for mental health and really true you know uh, putting uh, some resources into uh, helping people who have problems uh, you know so that they don't become these kinds of problems. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just a, a little bit of legal legal news for those who were wondering about um, you know how he was able to to get the firearm in the airport and you know legally. Uh, get it in and then what happened uh, when he used it. So uh, we'll probably have a a deeper conversation about that at at a later time. But today we're going to be focusing on wills and uh, controlling your estates and things that you can do. If you have any questions or comments about wills, how to construct one, uh, who can uh, be over it, you can call us at 877-672-7464. If you want to know what should be in it, can you make changes to it? 877-672-7464 is the number, or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We have a call on the line early. It looks like Tarun is in uh, Bassfield, Baseville, (laughs) with a question. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing? Great, thank you. Uh, I have a question. Let's say uh, if someone has a will and uh, nobody in the family knows that the person had a will and the person passes away. I mean, how do how do we really track down whether this person had a will or not? You know, let's say if somebody has moved from, you know, state to state over his life period, you know, that person may have properties in different uh, part of the country. So how do you really track all that down, the will? or I mean, whether the person had a will or not, first of all. All right. That's a great question. Thank you so much. Uh, Any thoughts on that, Professor Gershon? That is a great question, and I'm going to answer it by saying that's a really important step that someone who has a will has to take. They have to make sure that people know they have a will, where to find that will. You know, if you've you've had a lawyer drop that will, that's usually uh, helpful in that respect because the lawyer will help you make sure that you've got it, uh, you know, in a place of safekeeping. Somebody needs to know where that will is, and somebody needs to then be in charge of getting the will to the probate court. So all of those are steps that, that if, if you took the time to make a will, you need to make sure there's somebody that knows that they're in charge uh, of getting the will to the proper place when you die. So it's important that we have conversations. I know it's not something anybody wants to talk about, uh, but, you know, uh, it really is not a secret. Will should not be. A, maybe what's in the will can be secret until the person dies if they want it to be. But the fact that they have a will should not be a secret uh, because otherwise it, nobody may know you have one and may think you died without it. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Sharita, that only 1% of China's 220 million seniors have drawn up wills. Now, you know, why are we talking wow. about China? Well, you know, China is not that different from the United States. There's a lot of accumulated wealth. Um, and the, the, the government of China has come out and said they're concerned about it because when people die without a will, uh, especially with the wealth that's been accumulated uh, since the communist government started letting uh, Chinese people accumulate wealth, uh, families break up over it. They fight over the you know the the wealth. They you know it need, there needs to be an orderly plan for 
how that wealth is going to be distributed. And, you know, the, the reason that the Chinese people don't uh, in general have uh, wills is because culturally they think they can put a curse on their family. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's a bad thing to plan a will. And and I think a lot of Americans feel that way. You know, it's like, well, if I'd write, I've, I've actually had someone who I drew a will for say, well, if I, if I have a will drawn, I'll die. Wow. You know, and I have to say, you know, wills are not the cause of death. You know, maybe smoking, maybe some other things, but wills are not the cause of death. But whether you have a will or not, you know, the, the sad news is that we all will die. So planning and, and making it easier on our families is very important. All right, Tarun, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. Uh, so technically, Professor Gershon, the will is supposed to live in the probate court. It's not supposed to be like in a shoebox under your bed. Like where where is it supposed to live? No, actually, I mean, it's supposed to be in a safe place, not the probate court. Um, that's really for after death. Hmm. Uh, some states do allow you to actually probate. North Carolina, for example, has a, you can probate the will even before the person dies, which just you know allows the court to go ahead and make sure it's a valid will while the person's still alive. But, you know, most states don't allow that. And, uh, and you, you, what, with safekeeping, you want it in a fireproof place. You want it in a, a place that's not going to be affected by flood. And you want somebody to know where it is. Now, a lot of people keep it in a bank safe deposit box. That's what I do with mine. And uh, my wife knows where it is, but our sister-in-law also knows where, that, where our wills are. And she has the key to our safe deposit box. And she's going to be our uh, representative, our executor of our estate. Uh, you know, and so that, you know, that's important that we, we've had that conversation with her so she knows what happens uh, when one of us dies uh, or maybe both of us die. And so, uh, you know, that's the kind of conversations people need to be having. So drafting the wills part of the process, but also making sure you have those conversations with family members about who will be responsible for getting the will to the probate court, because after death, then the will does go to the probate court or the chancellery court in Mississippi. Then that's, you know, that's the step that needs to be taken. All right. We're going back to the phones. Mary is in Jackson with a question. Good morning, Mary. What do you have for us today? Yes. If a person has a transfer on death on their bank account or on their um, brokerage account, but the will is different from what the transfer on death says, which takes precedence? Mary, that's a great question. And, you know, for the most part, for things like life insurance, uh, retirement plans, the, the plan uh, beneficiary will take over what the will says. Uh, because if you think about it, the life insurance company is going to have on their records uh, who the beneficiary is, and when uh, the insured person dies, then the life insurance company is going to rely on its records and who the beneficiary, stated beneficiary would be uh, in its records. The will will not control that. Same with a retirement plan. A lot, of, a lot of people's wealth, I know they were talking about retirement plans a little bit on in Money Talks right before this show. Uh, it, you know, when someone dies... The retirement plan will pass to the person who's named as the beneficiary on the retirement plan and not be governed by the will. And, th- and, and that's really important to know because the will only controls those things that actually the person uh, who died owns at their death. Uh, and we call insurance and, uh, and things like uh, retirement plan benefits third-party beneficiary contracts. They're actually controlled by the contract itself with that company as opposed to the will. 
All right. Uh, thanks for that call, Mary. We need to take a quick break. and we get back, we have Frank on the line, and we do have some lines open. If you want to join the conversation this morning, we're talking about the importance of wills. When we get back, we'll talk about uh, how to draft one. Can you do it on your own, or do you need a lawyer? Uh, why should you have one? Also, how in-depth should it be? Well, you can give us a call at 877-672-7464. That's 877-MPB-RING. Or send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're discussing wills and trusts. Do you have a plan for what will happen to your property when you die? Is it ever too early or too late to make a will? Is it something you can do yourself? If you have any questions or comments about uh, wills and estate planning, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. We do have a few lines open. The number is 877-672-7464 or send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, so, Professor Gershon, let's answer that question. Is it ever too early or too late to make a will? All right. That's a great question, Sharita. It is too early if you're under 18 hmm. uh, because you have to be an adult to make a will. So that's that's part of the question of having capacity is having the, the legal age. Now, there are some exceptions. If someone is married and emancipated then uh, you know, and they're under 18, then they could, in fact, make a will. So that's the early side. So minors can't make wills. Uh, is it too late? Well, it's too late only at the point when you're dead or at the point where you don't have, you no longer have capacity to make a will. And capacity really, it doesn't require much uh, to, capacity to, to make a will, uh, but it does require that the person knows who uh, their natural objects of their bounty are. And all that really means is who the people are that they would naturally give the property to, their family, their spouse. It doesn't mean they have to do that. Uh, they have to know um, uh, the nature and extent of their property. Um, that's the you know, the legal way of saying you got to know what your stuff is. And and generally, I mean, I can't tell you every share of stock I own or, or you know how much I have in a bank account right now, but I can tell you I do have a bank account or I can tell you I do have stock. That's those are the kind of things that uh, are required for capacity. And I have to know I'm making a will and and how my will is going to affect my people and my property at my death. And if I can do all that, then I have capacity. So even someone who uh, is suffering from dementia could, in a lucid moment, have capacity. But, you know, obviously, ideally, we would uh, have someone make a will earlier when they're not uh, having diminished capacity uh, issues, uh, when there's less of a chance that somebody could challenge that they made the will uh, when they did not have capacity. All right. We're going to go back to the phones. Frank is in Jackson with a question. Good morning, Frank. What do you have for us today? Good morning. Excellent show you're having today. My question, couple questions here. All right, I have uh, actually constructed a, a will, 
and it's here on my home computer. I shared it with my wife uh, three weeks ago, and uh, we came to agreement. And I want to know, is that valid enough? Do I need to take another step in uh, for the, the validation of that will? It's a good question, Frank. Uh, any thoughts, Professor Gershon? Great question, Frank. And, uh, you know, in Mississippi, we still don't allow um, – totally online wills, uh, and very few states do at this point. I think, you know, at some point we're going to turn the corner and people will be able to validate their wills totally online. But right now what you need to do is you would need to um, either write it completely in your handwriting and sign it, and that's called a holograph. That's something that is valid. Or you need to print it out, uh, sign it, uh, have two witnesses witness your will, uh, and uh, if you sign it in their presence and they sign in your presence, you'll be good to go in every state. And uh, and that really is all you need to do. Uh, so, But you want to make sure you print it out, you sign it, have two witnesses, not your wife. If she's one of the beneficiaries, you want to get a couple of people who are not uh, going to take anything from the will just to, to say, yeah, we see your signature, we're signing your, you know, along with you. And, uh, and then you know, that should validate your will. Okay. The second question, I have land. And I have about uh, three different tracks, which is in my wife and my name. But however, two of those tracks I want to identify out of my will to go to my daughter. So do I need to go back and redraw those deeds and delete my wife and place my daughter's name on it? Uh, is it okay just to leave my wife's name on it, although it's identified in the will? Well, you know, if it's in joint name, uh, you know, uh, and I can't, I can't give you. Two specific advice, you know, I want you to know, because I haven't seen the deed, I haven't seen the will, so please understand, we can't give uh, legal advice, personal legal advice on, on uh, the show, but I'll give you general advice, which is, if you've got a deed that is in joint tenancy with right of survivorship, where it's both names, and when one dies, the other one gets the property, and you want to give the property to somebody else, then you are going to have to uh, retitle that property. Uh, you know, if it's just... Uh, yours, your property, if your wife's name on it, she must have some interest in it, then what she could do is, uh, you know, generally someone could uh, just quit claim is what it's called, give up their share. So she could, uh, uh, you know, uh, give up her interest in that property, and then, you know, that way uh, your your will would govern it. Right now your will can only govern uh, that that you own at death, and so, you know, if it's not yours at death, then your will's not going to control it. All right, Frank, thank you so much for your call. Hopefully that information was helpful to you. We appreciate it. Um, we go next to John in Mississippi who has a question. Good morning, John. What do you have for us today? Yes, um, I was just wondering, uh, this happened about eight years ago, back in 07. I've seen the paperwork and the wheel and the conservatorship and all of that, and a certain person was placed conservator over in the state uh, Their grandfather had died, and the grandmother was still left, but put in a nursing home for 15 months. And anyway, um, come to find out, there was like $96,000 in IRAs and CDs in the bank. And anyway, I've looked at the last four years of bank statements from 07 to 11 when the estate closed out. The bank account closed out. The estate's still open, as a matter of fact. My question is, is, um, wasn't the conservator supposed to put all of that money into the conservatorship account that his name got added to and um the money in the will it said that that all of the grandchildren and the mother was supposed to be all of the money divided eight ways after all bills have been paid and they won't discuss with the other executive executors 
anything about it. They've just taken the monies, and there's no records of it going back into the conservatorship account. And the estate's never been closed, and that was back in 07. I'm just wondering, uh, what, how do you find out about that? Because if you ask them about it, they're going to get mad and never speak to you again. <laughs> hmm. I mean, that's a great question because, really, first of all, you entered, you know, you talked about the personal dynamic of this. I mean, we, these are family members, typically. And, and one reason why we want to have a good estate plan, which is really just an, a set of instructions for, you know, what are people supposed to do? What's their role when somebody dies? It's already going to be a family tragedy. We've lost somebody we love. Now, what, what are we supposed to do? And a good estate plan can help them do that. And it can help also, you know, deal with some of the issues of, uh, you know, what am I, you know? How am I supposed to account to everyone? What am I? What, how's this property supposed to be gathered? What? How do we make sure the person is doing their job? And if we if we think about all that stuff ahead of time, then we're not you know in, in maybe litigation later on. So those are just good things for people who who haven't planned yet to start thinking about planning. Now, in uh, in, in this case, you know, I, I again I can't give specific advice because I haven't seen the conservatorship. I haven't seen what the order was. I will say the retirement uh, plan. Uh, money is separate. It's not under the will. Uh, that's a third-party beneficiary contract that's governed by the retirement plan and who is named as beneficiary. And that may be why a conservator of, under a will or a personal representative or executor under a will was not um, uh, privy to that money. Now, as far as not closing out the estate, I just think I think yeah, you have to have that conversation or have a lawyer have that conversation to, to find out. You know why the why the person hasn't done their job or or what they need to be doing to close the estate out. Well, there, from what I've seen, there was no retirement at all. They just uh, the grandparents had their, their their IRAs and CDs in in their checking account and uh, savings account, whatever. And uh, it got all taken out the day before the conservator become conservator, and no one in the family knows what they did with that ninety six thousand dollars. And it was supposed to be divided, and and I think that it's just, you know, and plus a home, a $100,000 home was lost. It was supposed to be given to the mother, and she was dependent on this conservator to take care of all that. And they never did pay the taxes. They never did sign documents in time. It's like they purposely wanted everything to get lost so no one would know that they kept all of that other money. Because we wow. got all the paperwork from the bank showing all of that and they, they don't know that we that i got that and uh i just don't know what to do because if you bring it up to this person they're going to get very upset and never speak to the other family members again and i, I just like to personally know what happened because this put a lot of people in a lot of buying this one person keeping all of that money and not dispersing it like they were supposed to because that was what was in the wheel that the grandfather and grandmother wanted to happen and they didn't do it they kept it off themselves well, John, this this seems really, really complex, and we don't want to get uh, too deep into to your personal matters. Um, uh, Professor Gershon, do you have like an, an overall thought for John? Well, John, you know, uh, the the bottom line is I've said on this show lots of times that people kept their promises. We wouldn't need lawyers, but unfortunately, people don't keep their promises. And it, at least it seems like in this case, uh, the personal representative under this estate did not keep their promises and and that's why you know you you really do need to see a lawyer to see if maybe it might be too late one thing that we have to think about is sometimes you know things are time sensitive but if it's not too late if the estate's still open if you can you know uh, file a claim ask for an accounting make sure that uh you know this person does what they're supposed to do you may make them mad 
You know, a bad, bad estate planning a lot of times will cause even good families uh, to have disputes. Uh, but that doesn't mean you should be taken advantage of or other people should be taken advantage of. So I would, I would talk to a lawyer and, and bring this, you know, see if there's a, a you know, cause that you could bring uh, to, to make sure all this comes to light. And it may make the other person mad, but, you know, if they're not doing what they were supposed to be doing, maybe they, they should be mad. All right, John, thank you for your call. Um, and I uh, hope everything gets better. Uh, Professor Gershon, that seemed really, um, you know, confusing and just uh, like a like a bad situation. And I can't imagine like when celebrities <laughs> have a whole lot of property and money to uh, divvy up. I, I can imagine things get get pretty nasty. Um, but that's that was an interesting situation with John. It was. And, you know, and they do things, you know, again, I, you know, the, the idea is to plan ahead of time and get people a good set of instructions so they don't get as nasty because even even in good families people will have resentments uh you know they're they're things you know it's not it's not going to be money typically which is pretty easy to divide you know you got four people and you got a hundred thousand dollars that's easy but what about the cabin on the lake right that everybody likes to go to yeah bland or what about the the dining room table Hmm. That was important for everyone's Thanksgiving gatherings, everyone's Christmas gatherings, everyone's holiday gatherings, whatever. What do you do? Who gets that table? You can't you can't cut it in four. Solomon may may do that, but uh, <laughs> you can't. So, thinking about those kind of things and how you you help every person in the family maybe feel that they've been treated as fairly as possible, because it's not always going to be even. John, thank you, and uh, good luck to you. We appreciate your call. Um, we go next to Louise, who is on the road with a question. Good morning, Louise. What do you have for us today? Uh, yes, a few years ago, I made a will. Kind of tried to do it simple with, with an attorney. And <clears throat> now that I'm, you know, I think of different things or look at different things as I go through the house, and I tend to want to specify some small items and how effective is a codicil and what makes it effective. All right. Thanks for that question, Louise. Uh, Professor Gershon, I have no idea what that is. I hope you do. <laughs> I do. A codicil is really just an amendment to a will. Uh, one thing that I would, uh, yeah, so I would just, uh, and they are effective, if they, but they have to be executed with the same formalities as a will. And so, you know, we were talking before about either it has to be solely in Louise's handwriting and signed by Louise which would be effective in Mississippi, not every state. Florida does not accept uh, holographs, for example. Or uh, it has to be notarized so- in Alabama. It does. No, well, you know, really, there is there is something that has to be notarized, but the will itself typically doesn't have to be notarized. There's something called a self-proving affidavit, which is a separate a separate document that is really just the sworn testimony of the witnesses and and the te- and the person who's writing the will, signing the will, that they did in fact sign it and the witnesses witnessed and that keeps that that avoids the necessity of the witnesses having to come to court probate court later or chancery court and saying yes we did in fact sign it so that's just a that's just a a way of them kind of pre-testifying if you will that they signed it that's what needs to be notarized but the will itself typically doesn't have to be notarized it just has to be witnessed uh, and generally two witnesses is all it takes Uh, they've got to be i'd like for them to be go ahead i'm sorry the codicil has to be the, has to have the same requirements as the will. So for the codicil to be effective, it's got to be executed with the same requirements as the will. Signature and two witnesses or um, 
uh, or you know, sign, it was totally in, in the person's handwriting and signed by them. Now, uh, you know, what I kind of recommend here is codicils were really created uh, when there were no computers. When I first started uh, practicing law 100 million years ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, we had we used typewriters, we used electric typewriters, and so if I had to make a change to a will, I would have to go to my assistant and say, "Hey, you know, this 30-page document, you got to retype the whole thing, uh, and you know, we got to get it re-executed." So what we would do instead, if we just made a need to make a small change, is we'd have a one-page or two-page codicil that the the client still had to sign. And, and we still had to have witnesses just like a will, but, but then we didn't have to retype the whole thing. Hmm. Now, most people keep their documents on computer. I just recommend you make the changes. Since you have to have it signed and witnessed anyway, you might as well just have one document that is your will and instead of having to keep track of all the codicils because that just makes it harder for people up the road. So codicils are effective, uh, certainly, but since you have to use the same formalities as the will, I say just you know use, use the word processing change, make the changes you want to make, sign it, witness, and then you've got it all in one document. Well, I'm much smarter now. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Louise. I'm much smarter, too. I saw codicil. It sounds like something you take for a bad cold. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break right now, and uh, our lines are open for you if you want to join the conversation. We're talking about wills and estate planning. If you have any questions about how to plan your future, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. And one of the questions we'll address when we get back, can you leave a child out of a will? What about your spouse? Uh, what things should you not include in a will? Uh, call us today. 877-MPB-RING is the number. All our lines are open. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we're discussing the importance of wills and some things you should consider when constructing your will. You can give us a call if you have any questions or comments about them. 877-MPB-RING is the number. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. All right, uh, Professor Gershon, before we get back to the calls, I wanted to address this question. Can you leave a child or a spouse out of a will? I'm sure that is a pretty uncomfortable and uh, uh, unpopular thing to discuss, but uh, legally, what is the answer? Well, uh, broadly, yes. I mean, certainly a child you can leave out of the will. Uh, There are protections for children who were born after the will was made. So let's say, you know, I, I knew I had one daughter made my will, and then, you know, three or four years later, I had another daughter that may have been a surprise. Not mm-hmm. my case, by the way. Uh, and uh, and um, and just in case she's listening. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, you know, that daughter, because she wasn't mentioned in the will, would still take a portion of the will um, because she was left out of the will before anybody even knew about her. But other than that, if I want to leave a child out of the will, I can't, uh, is, the, is the simple answer. Uh, you know, that could cause problems. Maybe that child is going to be upset and may challenge the will. 
uh, I need to make sure I've had conversations with that child about why I'm doing it. There might, I may have really good reasons for doing it. Um, maybe we're estranged, so I can do that. Spouses are harder because spousal protections allow a spouse to renounce the will in Mississippi. A spouse that doesn't like the share that he or she has received has 90 days uh, and to after the will has been uh, probated, uh, you know, in the probate court, uh, then uh, they have to renounce in that probate court the will, and they'll get a share, their share that they would have gotten had there been no will, uh, in no event more than half of the estate, though. So uh, it's harder to leave a spouse out because a spouse has certain protections. It says you're going to at least get something out of the estate. Uh, you That's know, probably are, a good thing um, because we do live in an age where uh, some people have affairs and they may try to leave something for uh, the person they're having an affair with and, and, you know, just try to leave the spouse in a, in a bad position. So I think that's interesting that those spousal protections uh, are in place. Yes, it is. But one thing that that's only the assets that are actually in the probate estate. So we talked about life insurance is not go through the probate estate. Uh, so if the person mm. really wanted to. Uh, you know, remove property from their spouse, they would simply set up, uh, uh, you know, um, mechanisms that were not going to pass through probate, like joint tenancy with rights of survivorship, joint bank accounts, you know, those kind of things. So it's still, you know, if, if you have nothing in your probate estate, there's really nothing for the spouse to to elect against. And so if somebody was really, really being uh, devious and wanted to leave the spouse out, that would be one way to do it. So it's not a perfect protection. It's really not perfect, but at least it does give the spouse some rights to the estate. The spouse also has a right to, for example, uh, something called exempt property, which you know, typically the spouse will have the right to uh, continue to watch the TV, to, you know, use the, the Lazy Boy Lounge, or the spouse homestead rights so we don't kick the spouse uh, out of the home. So we do have protections for spouses. Uh, in a much greater degree than we do for for children. Boy, I hope this show doesn't uh, start some arguments at home. If if couples are listening right now, I'm sure they're side-eyeing each other like, "Mm, let me reevaluate some things here. Uh, We're going to go back to the phones. Dylan is in Hattiesburg with a question. Good morning, Dylan. What do you have for us today? Good morning, you all. Uh, Hey, this uh, discussion has really been encouraging to me to, to look at creating a will, something I don't have. I have uh, a young child, and I'm married, and I was just wondering what would be your recommendations for uh, initiating having a will drafted for for someone who's a novice? Great question, Dylan. Thank you. Thank you. And, Dylan, I totally encourage you to do this, especially if you have a child, uh, because you want to make sure that child is taken care of. You know, it's not just about what the, the property the child gets, but who's going to take care of the child should something happen to you and your spouse? Mm. Uh, you know, you, you, you hope that that never happens, but you want to make provision. You want to make sure you have the right person uh, taking care of that child. So you can designate those kind of things in a will. I would talk to a lawyer uh, in your area who, who does wills. Uh, wills typically, uh, the, you know, lawyers don't charge a lot typically for simple wills, uh, you know, and, uh, and it's good to have someone who knows what they're doing draft this will. And then, uh, you know, um, they can help you with some of the questions that you have, specific property, some, some you know, if, if a child, for example, has special needs, you know, how to protect that child. And so uh, I encourage you to take this step. It's a good, uh, good New Year's resolution to have, to have a will. And, uh, you know, I encourage any American to. We only have about 20% of people in this country, less than half, certainly. We don't know the exact numbers because we don't know who has wills that we, we don't, we're not aware of. But 
fewer than half the people in this country have wills, which means that most people's estate plans are really off the rack. It's mm. just what the legislature says happens to your property when you die. And, you know, I wouldn't go into a store and just, you know, that said, hey, one size fits all or if it doesn't fit you too bad. And in a way, if you don't have a will, it's the legislature's uh, determination of what they think should happen to your property is going to happen. Wow. And so def- definitely do this. All right, Dylan, thank, thank you so, so much. much. Yeah, thank we appreciate you. it. Good luck to you. Uh, so Dean Gershon is uh, constructing a will. Can it be a do-it-yourself pro- project? And in what cases would it be beneficial to have a lawyer? Well, you know, self, self-serving self in some respects, but I always think it's good to have a lawyer, and here's why. I mean, you know, we we talk about going and getting uh, preventive health care is going to be better than going to having to go through surgery. It's the same thing. If you go if you go to someone who knows what they're doing, who knows the right questions to ask, who understands, you know, where there might be traps, you know, a good lawyer can help you pre- avoid those. So you pay a little bit up front, whereas maybe if you did it yourself, you wouldn't have to pay quite as much or anything. But at the end of the day, that should save you by going to a lawyer from having any issues pop up uh, after, after death, which are going to cost the family a lot more in the long run. You know, that, that's the surgery when, when there's litigation or there are problems that arise afterwards yeah. uh, from doing it yourself. So I encourage people to go to lawyers just because you know, a good lawyer can help you put together a good estate plan. There's more to the estate plan than just, just the will itself. I talked about life insurance. I talked about you know, the other assets a person has. Uh, you know, helping someone decide who gets, you know, certain property and who should be the executor or personal representative of the estate. You want to make sure that, you know, you choose the right person and a lawyer can help you, you know, talk to you about who that person should be. All right. We have more calls to get to. We go next to Philippa, who's in Gulfport with a question. Good morning, Philippa. What do you have for us today? Um, Hi, I'm glad I happened onto this call because, um, this is a topic that really interests me. I currently have a holographic will, and I have it stored in my house, and I'm not sure if that's the correct thing to do with it. Um, but I am a single person. I don't have children, and my closest relative is an older cousin who lives in another country. So my question is, what is the natural, what would make sense for me as far as picking an executor? And if I wanted to have a will done online, uh, do you have any recommendations? Because I, I went to LegalZoom, I checked out a product called uh, Quicken Willmaker or something like that, but it doesn't work with Apple products. So I'm kind of stymied on that, and I don't know whether I should just go ahead and consult a lawyer and have a simple will, a health care directive, and that sort of thing taken care of. My, my quick answer is yes. Go to, go to a lawyer because they can also talk to you about other, you know, other um, things that you need to be thinking about. I'm glad you're thinking about uh, health care directive. Very important. Um, and, you know, you, if, if you die without a will and you don't have a lot of close relatives, somebody you don't really even know or care about could end up with the property. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're thinking about who you want this property to go to. The key with the personal representative, and, and you know, a lot of people call that the executor. Um, personal representatives, just gender neutral, which is why I use it, but it doesn't really matter. It's the same person. It's somebody you want to trust, somebody you do trust and, and know you can trust um, to, to do the right thing uh, in carrying out your wishes. And so that's really up to you. That's going to be a personal question about who is the best person to do that. 
if your if your estate is complicated, you got lots of businesses that have to continue, lots of property that has to be managed. You probably want somebody who's pretty business savvy and understands those businesses. If it's pretty simple, it could be a relative who may not have great business acumen, but really understands the family dynamic or understands your your needs and and, and what you would want to do. So uh, that's a very personal decision, and a lawyer could help you with that. Uh, a lawyer can be the personal representative as well. They shouldn't be the one who drafted the will. Uh, because they're, they get benefits by being the personal representative. But you can have a professional person do that as well. But it sounds like in your case, you really just need a, a good friend, somebody you trust, uh, and somebody that you can count on. All right, Filippo, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we have more calls to get to. James, John, and April we will get to you right after this break. We're talking about wills this morning. If you want to join the conversation, the number is 877-MPB-RING or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we've been talking about wills and the specifics of those. We've had a lot of great calls, and there's still a little time if you want to join the conversation. We do have a couple lines open. The number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464, or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We go back to the phones. James is on the road with a question about trusts. Good morning, James. What do you have for us today? Hey, good morning. I just want to say thank you very much. This is a great subject. And um, I just want to give a quick story that uh, before about this, which uh, before my mother passed away in 2012, but before she was getting sick, um, she had a horrible time with her siblings based on when her parents passed away. So what she did for us, she put together a nice will, called us all together. And not only that, she got with a lawyer and she opened up a trust. And the trust uh, stated uh, who was in charge and what order of precedence they would they would go in. And I tried doing the online thing, but I'm glad we sat down. I'm glad Dr. Gershwin has said, you need to go sit down and, and see a lawyer because there are a lot of things you can learn. So my question is, um, uh, what was what, when I, when I'm, as I'm going through the process now, there were two things that were presented to us, two different types of trust. One was a revocable trust, and one was a irrevocable trust at the time. And the thing is, I was hoping that, is, what is the difference? Can you explain that? All right. Great questions, James. Thank you. Great questions, James. And, and uh, you know, thank you for listening and, and thanks for your call. You know, the, the revocable trust is one typically that the person who set up the trust will retain the power to change their mind. You know, a will is revocable. We really haven't talked about that, but I can always change my will if I want to as long as I'm alive and have capacity. Same thing with that trust. I You know, I, I set it up a certain way and I decide, you know, that doesn't work for me anymore. I want to, you know, I've got mad at somebody I was going to give the property to, so I'm going to change their name on it. That's a revocable trust. An irrevocable trust is is created either at the death of that person, where you know they now uh, won't. They're the only one who could change the trust. They died. The revocable trust then becomes irrevocable, 
or um, it's just they they know this is exactly what I want to do. I want I, I'm, I'm sure about it, and I don't want anybody to ever change it, and so I'm going to make it irrevocable. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's really it is it, it is exactly as it sounds. A re- irrevocable trust is much much harder to change, and nothing in the law is impossible to do. So even irrevocable trust can be uh, revoked in some situations, but it's just much harder and typically requires some court supervision. Uh, Professor Gershon, is the difference between a will and a trust pretty much um, when they go into effect? Great question, Sharita. Yes, uh, in, in most cases. Now, the uh, living trust or revocable trust is, is, uh, goes into effect immediately. The person will, uh, in essence, transfer their assets to an entity called a trust, and the trust will be the owner, but they can be the beneficiary and the trustee of the trust, so they can, they can still control that property during their lifetime. And then the trust will have terms that will say who gets the property when they die. So it's, it, it has the same effect, really, as a will, but the trust is operating as an entity while that person's still alive. Mm-hmm. So you're exactly right. All right, James, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, we go next to John, who's in Spanish Fort, Alabama. Good morning, John. What do you have for us today? Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I had a question for the purposes of family research. How long uh, do um, records of wills and trusts and so forth survive? Good question. John, it's a great question. You know, uh, wills themselves are public documents. They're filed in the Chancery Court in Mississippi, Probate Court, elsewhere. Uh, the courts will have different names. But you can go and look at those records. Uh, you know, they're uh, public records that are available, and, uh, you know, you can search. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of states now, a lot of counties have online searchable wills. So, you know, they last as long as those records are there. Uh, the trust can be private. The trust can actually be private documents. One reason why sometimes people like to use trust is because, uh, you know, they can uh, maybe never uh, be filed in a, in a court, uh, you know, and therefore would never become public records. So, or at least aspects of the trust can, can retain, remain private. So um, it's harder to say about trust, but, you know, a trust that is part of a will certainly would be uh, found in the same chancery court or, or probate court. All right, John, thank you. We appreciate your call. Um, and we have just a couple minutes uh, left here, Professor Gershon. Earlier, a caller mentioned a health care directive. Uh, could you give a little bit more information about what that is? Absolutely, Sharita. And I think it's, that's almost as important as having a will mm. because a health care directive uh, will tell people who should make decisions for you when you can't make them yourself. Okay. And so I think about Terry Schiavo, for example. Uh, you know, uh, Terry Schiavo uh, did not have a health care directive. And so there was a dispute between her husband and her parents about whether she should uh, remain on life support, uh, on feeding tubes. Uh, Mississippi and every state has a, a simple form you can fill out that says what you want to happen and who you want to be in charge of those decisions. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a health care directive. There's a, an appointment of the person who's going to be your proxy to make those decisions. Uh, and it gives that proxy directions. You know, uh, so, uh, you know, if somebody doesn't want to be on uh, feeding tubes, if they're, if they're in the process of dying, uh, they can say so ahead of time. Very, very important document to have. All right, and we have about a minute left. Uh, I don't know if you have enough time to give a, a quick response to what is probate um, and, and it's something that people have heard that they should avoid. Why is that? Well, it's, it's not as bad as it sounds. Now, probate itself, the first part of probate is proving that the will is valid, that the person had capacity, that it was, in fact, their will. 
The second part is the administration of the assets. If I die and I owned a, a real estate, that real estate's going to be in my name. I can't own it anymore. So the probate court then has to transfer the title to someone else, and there's a process for that. There's some cost involved in probate. There's no question. So when people say they want to avoid probate, if there are uh, simpler avenues that don't require that cost, like owning the property in joint tenancy. Uh, you know, our, my house is in joint tenancy. When I die, my wife will own it. Uh, you know, that's much simpler. That doesn't have to go through probate. So that's when people talk about avoiding probate. But probate itself is not a bad process. It's a necessary process for assets that are still owned at death. Sounds good. Well, I think, think this was a very healthy and informative conversation today. Professor Gershon, thank you so much for being on and sharing your expertise. Uh, folks, if you didn't get to call, you can always send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, stay tuned right here uh, to MPB. Coming up next is uh, Southern Remedy with Dr. Susan Buttress. Thanks to Sam Wells for being the board operator. Kevin Farrell was a call screener. This is MPB Think Radio.